Good morning. If you could, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And if you uh, did not bring your Bible in, left in the car, and would need to borrow one, just raise your hand and we'll make sure we get you one from the back there. John chapter 5. We've been on John chapter 5 for quite some time. It's uh, one of the more in-depth chapters of the book of John. It really buckles down and deals and dives into the identity of Jesus Christ. And uh, his identity here is is definitely something that he is teaching, and he does have the, the Pharisees that he is talking to about such things. So at the beginning of John chapter 5, we saw there that the man had been healed, who had been lame for 38 years, and Jesus spoke, he said, get up, take up your mat and walk, and the man did exactly that. Uh, we then saw, just quickly kind of going through this, the Pharisees were extremely upset that Jesus had healed this man on a Sunday. Instead of seeing this as, okay, this is a clear sign from God, they were mad that he was working on the Sabbath. Jesus buckles down, doubles down, you might say, to say that I can do this, I am working on the Sabbath, because my Father is working on the Sabbath, and there he claims to be equal with God. The Pharisees call him out on that, and then now he doubles, triples down, quadruples down, stating who he actually is. So he goes on to let them know, they're judging him for, in their view, sin against God, but that he is doing everything perfectly as his father does, and that he is actually going to be their judge. He is the judge of all the earth, and in fact, it is his voice that will wake the dead, that will draw every body to rejoin its soul, and from there be judged and have eternal life or eternal judgment. All right, so it's kind of where we left off last week. Now let's look over at chap uh, chapter 5 still. Uh, look at verse 30 through 47. It's kind of a lengthier portion. It's kind of hard to divide, so we're going to try to tackle all of this today. But we're starting in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given to given to me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard his form you have never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one who he has sent you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word to look at, to study, to focus on today. We thank you, God, for the clear expressions of Jesus' identity that we covered in the last few weeks, that he is indeed the, the bread of life, that he, is, that he is, is the bridegroom, that he is the great I am, that it is he who will judge all mankind, that it is he who you have sent, Lord, and we put all of our faith, all of our trust in him and him alone for our salvation. Help us to rest even more fully in him today as we continue to dive into your word and see his lessons that he brings to us today and that he tries to teach to the Pharisees. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in this portion of scripture, we kind of have a court scene that's kind of set up. Uh, the Pharisees, the great plurality of the Pharisees, they were the ones in charge of all religious matters, and they were judging Jesus, right? They had set themselves up into the position, into the chair of Moses as the great judges over Israel. But you have a problem. You have the judges of, judges of Israel judging the judge of all the earth. And so they believe they have the majority report on their side. They have the plurality of, of Pharisees. There's lots of them. They're patting each other on the back. They're always encouraging one another in their judgments, etc., etc. The big problem is, though, they have not been sent by God. So right off the bat, Jesus is going to let them alert, alert them, let them know that he has been sent from God. On Further in the book of John, who do we find out that the Pharisees are actually sent from? It's Satan, not God. Even though they are extremely religious, they wear different clothes. They act different. They talk different. They give great, great amounts of their money at the temple. They pray out loud, looking up with their hands in the air. They look different, act different, talk different. They are judging everyone. But yet Jesus sees right through to their heart and sees pure hypocrisy. It's all fake. They're dead on the inside. All right. So here you have these Pharisees spiritually dead on the inside whose father is Satan Think about this, claiming to be sent from God, claiming to be God's judges over Israel. But you have God in the flesh talking to them. So look back here at verse 33. I'm sorry, verse uh, 30. Let's start there. He says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. So here you have the Pharisees who want to take God on their side in this kind of kangaroo court they're setting up, but Jesus is immediately pulling God away from their side to his side. All right? He says, no, no, no. I have these witnesses I am bringing forth. If I was by myself and had no witnesses, you would accuse me of lying. But I have God on my side. So right away, as they're trying to say that you have no witnesses, that God is on our side, he immediately says, no, 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 God is on my side. And now, this court kind of takes place as Jesus begins to call different witnesses for him and against them. All right, so the first one he does mention here is God the Father, but he comes back to that several times, so we're going to reserve that. 
But right off the bat in the verses that we're going to look at here, uh, he calls John the Baptist to the stand. John the Baptist. Look at verse 33. You sent to John. He's talking to the Pharisees. You sent to John, and again, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. You sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, why was it so important that God sent John the Baptist? Now, this, it was huge, and we've covered this multiple times as we've gone through the book of John, but this was the climactical moment that was going to announce the Messiah, right? You go back to Malachi, the last prophecies in the book of the Old Testament are about God sending this great messenger, this great herald that was going to announce the Messiah. We looked at multiple passages and from other prophets so that John the Baptist is the prophesied messenger, herald, that was sent by God to announce the Messiah. This is John the Baptist. If you think about what breaks the silence, uh, over 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's no prophets, there's no voice of an angel, there's no direct, immediate, special revelation of God. And then what breaks the silence? It's not the birth of Jesus, but it's actually the announcement of Gabriel to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they are going to have the one that will be like Elijah, the one that is going to cry out in the wilderness, right? Fulfilling the Isaiah prophet, he a prophecy that John the Baptist is going to announce the Messiah. So Jesus calls John the Baptist uh, onto his side here. You ignored John the Baptist. I am the Messiah, but you ignored the herald, you ignored the messenger, so what do you expect? Now, this is important. It was covered over there in John 1. Turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read 19 through verse 34 here because this is really covering what Jesus is referring to back to here, that God had sent John the Baptist. And we remember that before we get into this, that John the Baptist, this was not a small thing. John the Baptist was not out at the Jordan River by himself and just a couple of people around baptizing. But we recall that he showed up wearing the outfit, the same style as Elijah the prophet, wearing the animal skin, the animal skin belt, eating locusts and honey, and just this rough, tough, loud prophet that came from the wilderness, just like prophets would do in the Old Testament. And he was calling on the people to repent of their sin and believe in the one to come. And he was calling the Israelites out to be baptized. And this symbolized their need of being washed and cleansed by God. It was an admission of their sinfulness and their dirtiness. And the, the powers that be, the religious powers, the Pharisees, who, uh, as we get further, again, what we know are actually not sent from God. They're sent from Satan. Uh, that they're actually hypocrites but they come out to judge what's going on because they do what they do best. They judge other people. So they come out and say, who authorized this? We, those in charge of the temple, the, the Pharisees and members of the Sanhedrin, who will later put Jesus to death, we have not authorized such things. So how are you doing this? Okay, so let's proceed. Look at verse 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John. John the 
when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then are you, Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Again, verse 23, he's tying his identity into the Isaiah prophecy about the one to come that's going to announce the Messiah. Now look at verse 24. Who sent these people out there for such uh, interrogation? It was the Pharisees. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And these are the people that Jesus is addressing in John chapter 5. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Uh, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Before this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. All right. These are the words of John the Baptist. This is the witness that the Pharisees rejected, the witness that the Pharisees absolutely ignored. But John admits he is the one. Back to verse 31, he came baptizing so the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. And what does he announce? He announces that this is the Lamb of God sent for our forgiveness of sins. This is the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. We can tie that in to many, many places in the Old Testament. You can tie it into what we did today, right, as we take of the Lord's Supper. That goes back to uh, the time of the, the Passover when they had to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the outside of the door. God's wrath was coming through. If, there, if atonement had been made, if a substitutionary atonement had been made, another had died in their place, then God's wrath would not enter in. Their sin was covered. All right. So here, John the Baptist announces, this is the lamb, not just for your household, but for the world who takes away the sin. And the last portion there, verse 34, I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John, the great herald, the great messenger that God sent prophets to prophesy about that would come, he has come. He has announced this is the Son of God, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus calls John the Baptist, to his defense, saying, Look, God sent him to announce me, but you have ignored the messenger. Therefore, you don't see who I am uh, truly. All right? Let's move on down to verse 36. 
He moves on increasing their guilt of why they do not see him uh, as they should. Look at verse 36. This will be works slash signs. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So, again, this is tying. You'll see God the Father mentioned multiple times in this passage. But here specifically, we have works and signs. All right, The works that he is talking about here, most, uh, most of the time have to deal with the signs, the supernatural, that are very obvious. And this is all, especially in context, he has just healed a man that had been lame for 38 years. Instantaneously, fully healed, where the man walked, quite a distance over to the temples where Jesus found him again and he was carrying his mat. Instantaneous healing, all right? So that was a clear sign. Again, we do not see supernatural signs like that happening all throughout mankind's history. There's, there's primary times when such things happen and it usually has to do with the direct revelation of God. So here he says... These signs bear witness about me. Uh, this is important. What, are, what, are the, what is the purpose that God gives such signs? Well, you look right back to this passage. Uh, the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So here we see what we've covered before. That these signs, we, they were supposed to see that God has empowered this person for these supernatural signs to occur. God is putting his public stamp of approval on this person and that we are to listen to this person because they have been sent from God. And this is kind of building, you'll see, because who else uh, did God do this for in the Old Testament? In particular, there are several, but one that stands out above all the rest is Moses. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of standing alone, standing by himself, and he is saying, no, 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 no. God has sent me. Uh, John the Baptist that God sent has announced me. And on top of that, look what I just did. Uh, there's a 38-year uh, person who's been paralyzed for 38 years who is now instantly healed. And instead of seeing that, you want to judge me and they actually kill me? Uh, look, what he, look at Moses here, Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And we've mentioned this multiple times, but the tie-in here is great because Jesus says, I'm doing these signs, doing these works to bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. This should uh, make something go off in their head because they, are, they consider themselves great disciples of Moses, and you see almost the exact writing here in Exodus. Look at verses four, chapter 4, 1 through 5. This is when Moses was called. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Now look at verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This is extremely important here. What were the Israelites to do upon seeing these signs? He gives him two other signs. We'll save that for another day. But what are the Israelites to do upon seeing these signs? The answer is right there in verse 5. Believe that God had sent Moses and believe his message. All right? Supernatural sign. What are the Israelites supposed to do? See that God has sent him. He has authenticated him. This is indeed a messenger from God. And it validated his message that he is bringing forth. Uh, what were the Pharisees now supposed to do over here in the book of John upon witnessing the signs that Jesus performed? It's the same. The same answer. Believe that God sent Jesus and believe his message. All right? So great tie-in here. And Jesus is definitely going to be using the weight of Moses against them as we see it escalating here. Turn over to uh, John chapter 3, verse 2. <coughs> John chapter 3, verse 2. We covered this as we went through John chapter 3. But you do see that Nicodemus <coughs> began to catch on somewhat and does seem to come around by the end of the book of John. But he at least does not reject the signs. So these Pharisees that he is talking to, they've gone to the man that had been lame for 38 years. Instead of acknowledging, like, this is wonderful, this is amazing, this is great, they say, who did this to you? And they try to go punish him, all right? Uh, Nicodemus, we don't see him trying to punish Jesus or, or, or judging him in a, in a wrong way, but he does come to him curious in John 3 and at least acknowledges what the Pharisees were covering today would not acknowledge. But look at this, John 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, all right? Why does he know that? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Very clear, all right? These supernatural signs, as was the case with Moses, mean that God is with him, God has sent him, and that what are they supposed to do? Not just look at the signs and applaud, not just cheer the sign, but listen to the message that God has sent this speaker to pronounce, all right? So Nicodemus at least acknowledges that Jesus has been sent from God. The Pharisees he's addressing today in John 5 are not going to acknowledge that. Go back to John chapter 5. Let's look at verse 37. Here again, uh, Jesus calls forth God the Father to be his witness. He has done this a couple of times already in the passage that we've covered today. He has been sent by God. But here, look at verse 37. He says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, here, Jesus is setting himself way apart from the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he is far removed from them, and he is just putting these things, things in, in opposition. He is God incarnate. He has been with God through all of eternity, okay? He hears God. He's seen the form of God, all right? But also, this again is playing off of 
uh, Moses as well. Again, they claim to be the disciples of Moses. They claim to be in the seat of Moses. They claim to be the judge of Israel, right? But Jesus is judging them, and he is actually taking on the position of the greater Moses. Uh, look at Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and particularly paying attention to this, how Jesus speaks here of his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. All right, and compare that to Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. They claim to be representing God, but they definitely are not. And this, this, this passage would most likely, if as they are studiers of the scripture, probably come to mind, because Jesus is using very similar wording as he, as he debates them to uh, the writings of Moses. But here in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman that he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Look at this verse 8. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. All right. And we also, if we continue to read, we see where leprosy broke out on Miriam right there on the spot. All right, so what happens over there? You have, you have Miriam and Aaron who rise up against Moses. Uh, Moses is the most meek person on the face of the earth, the scripture says here. They rise up against Moses, and there is going to be a line drawn. All right, they're, they're, they're about to create a coup, you might say, saying we deserve the exact respect. We hear from God just the same. And God says, no, you do not. You are actually in rebellion and my anger is coming against you. But he uses the words here. Jesus uses very similar wording, right? If you look back at verse 38 in John 5, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. You go back to verse 8 in Numbers, and with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. And what should they have done? He says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? At the same point, if Jesus is getting across the Pharisees here, he, Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the greater lawgiver. He is the one who hears the voice of God. He is God in the flesh. He is God incarnate. All right? So you see a lot of similarity there. He's bringing all these things against the Pharisees that God has sent him. God has sent him. He has authenticated him by the messenger that announced him. He has authenticated him uh, uh, by the signs, by the wonders as well. 
And they just keeps on going down the line. Uh, next, look at verse 39 in John chapter 5. Look at verse 39 in John chapter 5. He goes on from God the Father being a witness against them to the Scriptures themselves as bearing witness against the Pharisees. Now this is an interesting passage here. <clears throat> John chapter 5, verse 39 Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now this is fascinating. The Pharisees were not scripturally illiterate people. They were the opposite of that. They had, they had professional scribes that worked with the Pharisees, studiers of the word of God, studiers of the Old Testament, studies of the prophets, and studiers of the writers of Moses. And they, they, were, they were drenched in Scripture, studying Scripture, and scribes doing this. It was just Scripture, 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 right? But they were, they were known to be serious students. And so in fact, some of your translations might say, you diligently search the Scriptures there in verse 39. But they searched the Scriptures, they knew the scriptures, yet this had led them not to the Savior. Instead, it had led them to a works-based salvation. They held the law up so high that they believed the law that Moses had been given by God would equal salvation for them. They were judging others. They had taken on the chair of Moses. They considered themselves righteous before God. And they had turned the God's word into a self-righteous works-based religion. That was not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to expose mankind's heart as sinful, as wicked, as only being able to rely on the grace and mercy of God for salvation. They took it the opposite way and made it into a works-based salvation. They studied the scriptures. Now, this is interesting. They knew the scriptures. Can reading the Bible be a false source of comfort for salvation? Think about that for a moment. Can reading the Bible, can knowing the scriptures be a false source of comfort for salvation? And it seems contrary to what we want to think. But if you look back at this passage, the answer would be yes. They studied the scriptures, diligently studied the scriptures because, look why, because you think, verse 39, that in them you have eternal life. But they replaced the Messiah, they replaced the Christ with the scriptures. For the scriptures are to be pointing to Christ and they're supposed to look to him for salvation. They look here in the scriptures for their salvation and not to Christ. That's when in verse 40 he says, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Now, the, the Old Testament was constantly pointing to the Messiah. We've covered much of that, right? The, the prophecies that God would speak about the Messiah and what he was going to accomplish. The types, the typology, the study of those types is fascinating. As you even just mentioning earlier, John the Baptist with the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That is a type. It goes all the way back to Genesis, God sacrificing upon the first sin of Adam and Eve to cover their sins, right? Then going forward, 
uh, the sacrificial system, uh, the priest, the day of atonement. All these are pointing forward to what is to come that the Messiah is going to accomplish. Even things like circumcision, what's going to be accomplished by Christ uh, ultimately as he circumcised our sinful flesh from us. All these things are looking forward, looking forward about the Christ that is to come and what he's going to accomplish. So the scriptures just, just wholeheartedly, even the feast we covered just a couple of Sundays ago, all these things, one after another, are not supposed to be in and of themselves everything, but they're pointing to the Messiah to come. That's why Jesus calls the scriptures forth here. It says the very scriptures that you're so diligently studying, you're ignoring the most important thing. It's me. I am the one that God has sent to bring salvation. Now, the primary point of Scripture is to point to the Savior. The Pharisees prided themselves in scriptural knowledge, yet they missed the Savior. And this is something we don't want to happen to us, all right? We don't want to be uh, pseudo-religious or, or religious. It looks like we are believers. It looks like we're Christians, but we're missing the main character, all right? We're missing the main point. That scriptures are pointing to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Um, can you, think about this, be religiously committed to reading the Bible and still go to hell? Yes. Can you make every single Sunday uh, to church and still go to hell? Yes, right? And that's what, what, what he's getting across here. You've become, they've become so religious that on the outside, they're doing everything right. But as Jesus exposes them later, they are wicked on the inside. It's all pride, it's all arrogance, and it's become a works-based religion. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this, this, and this. And then I will sit back and relax in my self-righteousness. And that is not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of, the, of Scripture is to show you that you're sinful, you cannot save yourself, you're spiritually dead, and you need a supernatural life to come upon you that can only happen through faith in Jesus Christ. So we don't want this to happen to us. We don't want to be a religious person, as the Pharisees were, who said they loved Scripture, studied Scripture, but they actually did not love God. Remember earlier, just a few verses back, Jesus sees their heart, knows their heart, and says the love of God is not in you. Isn't that amazing? They diligently study the scriptures of God, but the love of God is not in them. They had turned the scripture of God into another reason, another purpose, another religion that was in, than it was intended to be. The scriptures are pointing to the Savior. If you miss the Savior, you've missed the intent of God giving the scriptures in the first place. So he calls out the scriptures as speaking against them, but actually on his side, of course. All right, uh, next here in, uh, in verse 41, Jesus calls themselves, you might say, to, uh, to the court as a witness against themselves. So he exposes them here. Look at verse 41 through 44. Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only 
God. All right, the Pharisees are witnessing against themselves here. Jesus gets to the root of the matter. The Pharisees loved the praise of man more than praise from God. You see that in verse 44. You receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God. Their false religion that they had created now makes themselves look good. And they're doing this because of pride, because of arrogance, for the praise from one another. They seek the praise of man, but God does not look upon such things as good and worthy of praise. If we ever think that we deserve heaven, that we deserve getting to go to heaven, that we deserve salvation in and of ourselves because we are good enough, the odds are we are not saved. All right? We must see who we truly are. The Pharisees did not. They thought they were righteous. They thought they were holy. They put on their holy persona, and they got pats on the back from their other Pharisee friends, all right? Hypocrites love hypocrites, and hypocrites will pat you on the back and say, wow, you look good today. No, you look good today, right? No, you're wicked and dirty and filthy on the inside. Confess and repent of your sins. That's not what hypocrites want to hear. So they had got Pharisees around them, all hypocrites, patting each other on the back. Good job today. Way to be righteous, right? Let's go judge some people. Let's do that. Right, that's what they love to do. So here, they are doing so not for the glory of God. They're not fulfilling the chair of Moses and doing these things rightly. They're not honoring God. They're just seeking glory from man, from their fellow man. Look on verse 45. Here he brings these things. He's kind of hinted at Moses, it seems like, as we've gone through John chapter 5. And here he straight up, deliberately, Jesus says, Moses is the one who is going to witness against them. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me he wrote of me but if you do not believe his writings how will you believe my words so here he's tying it all together right uh, god the father has sent me god the father sent the sent john the baptist the messenger who has announced me god the father has sent signs that you are to look upon that authenticate me and the message i'm bringing forth what are you supposed to do listen because i am sent from god right uh, you're seeking your own glory here, not the glory of God. And now he's bringing forth Moses fully here, saying, look, Moses testifies against you. Why, why is that? Uh, because if you believe the writings of Moses, there's, there's only one God. God has inspired all of Scripture. God has spoken through Moses. He is the prophet of God. If you really believed him as a prophet from God, you would also believe what he said about me and my coming. But they do not. They reject that. So what does Jesus say? He says you're a false convert. That's something we have a lot of today in our world. People who claim to be of Christ, but they're false converts. Uh, these people claim to be disciples of Christ. Uh, John 9.28, look what he says here. And they, the Pharisees, reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. This is who they claim to be. So that seems to be why Jesus is picking up on all these, these uh, mosaic hints here in the Old Testament 
as he's building his case. It's like, you claim to be the disciples of Moses, yet you have not heard God, you have not seen his form. I have, I am the greater Moses. The signs that God has sent me, God has sent Moses these signs. What was Israel to do? They were to listen to him. Miriam, Aaron raised up against Moses, even though they knew these things. How did God side? God said, I am on the side of Moses. He's setting them up for this, and finally, the ultimate kill comes in here. He says, you are not of Moses. You claim to have Moses on your side? To no. God is over here. The, the great messenger he has sent is over here. Uh, Moses is over here, and all of Scripture is over here. Where does this, this leave you, Pharisees? It leaves you as a false convert. You are not of God. The love of God is not even in them. They claim to be the followers of Moses, but they didn't follow Moses, right? Even think of Israel back in the day as they're coming out of the desert and as they begin to have to wander. Uh, did all of Israel follow Moses? No, the vast majority of them did not. Uh, they rebelled against Moses. They murmured against Moses. They murmured against God. And Jesus is saying, you're just like them. You are like rebellious Israel who rebelled against the teaching of God, the teaching of Moses. Uh, in this section, uh, the Old Testament pointed to the, to the Christ by all, the, all these things. The, the, everything we just mentioned earlier, the tabernacle, uh, the, the furnishing in the tabernacle, the sacrifice, the priest, right? Uh, the feasts that were, that were put in place there. All these things are pointing to the Messiah. All those things we mentioned earlier are from the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. So it's not just the prophecy. Moses does give a prophecy about the ultimate supreme prophet that is to come that all must listen to or else they'll die. But all the writings of Moses are pointing towards the Christ to come. So if they followed Moses, they would follow this on out. But they rejected that. Look over to Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 26. You'll find this in uh, multiple places. Uh, some of the uh, scriptures in your uh, discipleship time today, you'll look into this a little bit as well. But you'll see where the, the apostles, the followers of Christ, would use the Old Testament to point to Christ. And that's the way it is supposed to be. If, if someone showed up out of the blue and claimed to be the Christ, uh, on their own accord, uh, how would you know if they are or if they're not? God gives all these predetermined uh, uh, things, accomplishments, activities, events that had to be, that had to come about so that Israel would know this is the Messiah, this is the Christ. He needs witnesses, all right? If Jesus just showed up and there was no fulfilled prophecy, then how would we know he's the Messiah? All the Old Testament, the writings of Moses, uh, the, the messenger has come. All these are signs, the supernatural signs that Jesus is accomplishing, right? All these are big arrows from God saying, this is him. This is the Messiah. And this is what Peter says here in the, the sermon in Solomon's portico. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, notice how he ties in this, the mouth of all the prophets, God was speaking through their mouth, here's what he was telling them, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Look at verse 22. Moses said, this is directly from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him first to you to bless you by the turning of every one of you from your wickedness. So what does Peter do in this section? He pulls the weight of Moses. He pulls the weight of Abraham. He pulls the weight of all the prophets and says, this is him. That is the correct, correct way to view Jesus Christ. He is indeed the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. The Pharisees in John chapter 5, knowing all these things, searching scriptures diligently, were reading the Bible with their eyes closed. They knew the verses, but they failed to see where it was pointing, and they thought it was pointing to them. Self-righteousness, I can do this. We can't do this, all right? We are sinners. We have all fallen short to the glory of God. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. So in this section of John chapter 5, uh, you see the Pharisees are trying to step up and judge the judge of all the earth. Uh, the judge of all the earth, Jesus Christ, says this is not going to work. You see, I have God the Father. <laughs> I, have, I have the great messenger who has announced me as the Lamb of God, the Son of God. I have all of Scripture, I have the writings of Moses who's pointing to me, and all you have is yourselves, to pat yourself on the back. The love of God is not in you. Uh, devotion to a religious system does not equal salvation. Let me say that one more time. Devotion to a religious system does not equal salvation. And that's what we see here with the Pharisees. We are to make sure that we are not relying on ourselves, and that what you can and what you can do to gain eternal life. Should we go to church? Yes. Should we read the Bible? Yes. Should we pray? Yes. Uh, but we don't do those things to be saved. We do those things because we are saved. You love God. You love your brother and sister in Christ. You love God's word. And you do these things because the love of God is in you. If there is a point where you're doing these things, thinking you're checking a box, and then God will save you, then you're just like the Pharisees, right? Confess, repent, and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. Eternal life can only be found in the apex of God's revelation, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to not ever become like the Pharisees, even, even temporarily, even for a moment, and think that we somehow deserve our salvation. Help us to see ourselves rightly and to see you rightly, Lord, that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. You are holy. You are perfectly just. All sin deserves to be punished. All people have fallen short of the glory of God. We and of ourselves are guilty. 
we and of ourselves are spiritually dead followers of Satan like the Pharisees were, basing our, our, any kind of salvation or works-based salvation. But out of mercy and out of grace, God, you have regenerated us. You've made our eyes to see, our hearts believe, our ears to hear your word, and we love you. Lord, help us to rest, help us to rely on Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, for he alone is sufficient to bring about forgiveness of sin. He is indeed the lamb who has taken away our sin. He is the son of man. He is the, the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the great I am. And Lord, help us to rest fully in him always for our salvation. And God, we pray if there's anyone at the sound of my voice today or listening uh, to the sermon today, Lord, that has not rested in Christ alone for their salvation, but, but are tending more towards the Pharisees, what they were doing, relying in religious activity and relying on works to get them to heaven, help them to see that that is not the love of God. That is not the way to eternal life. Help them to surrender and understand they can't get to heaven on their own, but they must rest in the one who is perfect, who does, does who did everything on earth just as you commanded. And it's in his perfection, his obedience that he gives to us and he takes our sin, that great atonement that we rest in for our salvation and forgiveness of sin. Strengthen us in these facts, in this doctrine, place them into our heart and help us to see how wonderful this great good news of the gospel truly is. In Jesus' name we pray.